0: we're busy with a series uh, called 2020 vision and all we're really trying to do with this series is to see more clearly and and when we say we want to see more clearly what we really mean is that we want to see with spiritual eyes we want to understand what kind of people god wants us to, pe- to be we want to understand what kind of a church he wants us to be and so last week Daryl shared with us on the health of our field as a church, and he shared from the story of Ruth, and Ruth experienced kindness, and she experienced shelter, and she experienced redemption in Boaz's field, and that is a picture of what God wants us to be as a church. That's what he wants us to be like, with Jesus as our true Boaz. And so even though we live in a city, we've been getting very agricultural lately. My daughter's even wearing dungarees. I don't know, do farmers wear dungarees? I don't know. Anyway, I thought I might wear dungarees, but but no, that would be taking it too far. So last week we were in barley fields with sheaves and stalks. And this week we are going to be in a vineyard with vines and branches. And some of you are like, I like vineyards. I prefer them to barley fields because I don't even know what barley looks like. It's okay. It's okay. So I'm going to be reading from John 15. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn there so long while I just give us some context. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven claims or I am statements. So he's revealing to us his identity. He's telling us who he is. And I'm not going to go into all seven statements this morning, um, but I really do encourage you to have a look at them. Go through the Gospel of John, especially leading up to Easter. It will really bless you to see who Jesus is and the power and the significance of who he is. But Jesus says things in the Gospel of John like he is the bread of life, he is the light of the world, he's the resurrection and the life. And here, In chapter 15, Jesus is making another I am statement. And it's important to note what is happening when Jesus makes this statement. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's about to be crucified. And so these are some of the last words that he shared with his disciples before he was crucified. And he's explaining things to them. But as we know, the disciples were a bit slow in understanding things, you know, Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to die, the disciples are very distressed, and so he's trying to comfort them, he's saying, I'm I'm going to go, but I promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and in this passage specifically, he's speaking to them about what they need to do to continue to be fruitful as his disciples, and so John 15, we're going to read from verse 5. It will be on the board. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Say nothing. 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 So that's one verse. And again, this whole section about the vine and the branches, I encourage you to go and read it. It's beautiful and it's so rich, and there's so much depth to it. But I'm just going to focus on this one verse this morning, and let's have a look at the first part. I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus is using this metaphor to illustrate that he's the vine, and his disciples then, and us as believers today, we are the what? The branches. And what do branches do? Branches depend on on the vine as their source for life and to bear fruit. So the implication is if we are Christ followers, this is for Christ followers, we should be connected to Jesus, we should be dependent on him as our source for spiritual life and to bear spiritual fruits. But we have this thing called human nature or our sinful nature. And even as believers, we get this horribly wrong. And so instead of being obedient to what Jesus is saying, we try and do things our own way. And so what do we do? We treat ourselves as a source, as a vine. We treat other people as a source or a vine. We treat things as a source or a vine. And what happens when I treat someone else as a source? I suck them dry and what are they left with shriveled little grapes wow. also known as raisins yeah. <laughs> which some people pick out of their muesli not me what's what happens when I suck someone else dry I've got grapes but they're probably sour grapes so Jesus is the source as humans we are branches. That is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying, I am the only source that will sustain you and that will supply you with what you need to live spiritually, to thrive spiritually and to produce spiritual fruit. So as a Christ follower, I have to ask myself, how much am I depending on Jesus as my source? To live the spiritual life that I'm trying to live. How much am I actually depending on him? Then the second part of that verse. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. That word remain means to be kept. It means to abide. Maybe your translation says abide. And abide means to dwell or to stay connected to or be in connection with, settle in, to think deeply, to make yourself at home with. So every Christian should make Jesus their home. And I can't help thinking of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz when I think about this, where she says, there's no place like home. Okay, maybe she doesn't say it in that voice, but there's no place like home. There should be no person or place that feels like home to us, the way that Jesus should. There should be no person or no thing. So the promise is that if we remain or we abide in him, we will, and he in us, that's also important, we will produce much fruit. And this fruit is not only external or internal, it's both and. It's external, it's what we do, but it's also internal, and that is who we are. But it can only be good fruit if we are becoming more Christ-like in our actions and in our thoughts and in our attitudes. It can only be good fruit if we are reflecting Him to others, if we are revealing Him to others, if we are bringing Him glory, and if we are extending His kingdom. So this fruit is not for ourselves. It's got nothing to do with us, actually. It's not about achieving or succeeding. It's not about our fame. It is all about Him. And when Jesus says, without Him, we can do nothing, it doesn't mean we can't do anything. It just means that if we are going to be more like Him and reflect Him and bring Him glory, we have to rely on Him for that. So He's the only source that will make that kind of fruit possible. Spiritual fruit can only be produced from a connection with Jesus and not by human means. It's not possible for us humanly to produce spiritual fruit. So you might say, sounds great, sounds amazing as a concept, as a theory, but let's get practical. Like, I know some of you guys here are very practical and you want to know, so how? How? We know the what, but what about the how? And I want to share two stories with you this morning. And they are from, just a warning, they are from the 1600s. So I know that's a very long time ago. But I want you to see the principle behind these stories, because that is so important. And that doesn't change through the ages, through the centuries, through the decades. This doesn't change. So the first story I heard for the first time at the closer ladies' conference last weekend, I hadn't heard this story before, but it really made an impact on me, and I think it it, uh, it illustrates this point of abiding really well. And it's the story of Susanna Wesley. So they didn't have, you know, like iPhones and Photoshop and stuff in the 1600s. Who knows the story of Susanna Wesley? Okay. So Susanna Wesley was born in the late 1600s. She was one of 25 children herself. So she got married when she was 19 to Samuel Wesley, who was an Anglican minister. And together, they had 19 children. But sadly, only 10 of them survived past infancy. But 10 children is still a lot of children. And Susanna endured a lot of hardships in her life. Her house burned down twice. Her husband, although he was an Anglican minister, he made some enemies because he was very forceful in his opinions. So her house burned down twice. She, her husband wasn't around much. Um, he was off doing some expository work on, on Job, um, and so she educated the children herself, both biblical education as well as classical education. She ran a very organized house. She's got some rules. You can go Google it. I don't like some of them, but, but yeah, she's, she, she was very organized. Maybe it's because I'm not organized. I don't know. <laughs> Who loses the front page of their sermon? I don't know. I don't know where it is. Anyway, she had very little financial resources. Because besides being absent, her husband was really not good with money. So he, he spent time in prison because they were, they were in debt. She also ran a Bible study for about 200 people. So I'm sure you'll agree with me. She was a very busy woman. She had a lot of demands on her. But in amongst all of this, Susanna Wesley would spend two to three hours abiding in the vine every day. Every day, two to three hours, she would worship God, she would pray, she would read her Bible, she would study her Bible. And as you can imagine, with 10 children in the house with you, there's not a lot of privacy. I mean, there's hardly privacy with one child, you know, or two children. But with 10, you know, it's hard to find, to find some privacy. So she would put a long apron over her head, and that is how she would abide in the vine. That's how she would spend time. And her kids knew she's not playing a game, it's not peekaboo or hide and seek. She's spending time with Jesus. And do not disturb her unless it's an emergency. And what constituted an emergency was someone was dying. So that is what she would do. What do you think were some of the fruits? that came from a life of abiding. And, and the point here is, Susanna Wesley, I don't believe, spent time abiding in the vine because of the fruit. I think she loved Jesus. And I think she wanted to be obedient to him. And I think she ordered her life around him instead of allowing it to be the other way around. Wow. So what, what was the fruit that came from her life? She is regarded as the mother of Methodism. So she didn't start the Methodist church, but, it, but two of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, they started the Methodist movement together with George Whitfield. And Charles Wesley, he wrote 6,500 hymns, some of which are still sung to this day. And if you have ever sung the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he wrote the lyrics to that Christmas carol. Talk about bearing much fruit. Talk talk about lasting fruit. It's 350 years later. All because she loved Jesus enough to be obedient to him and abide in the vine under her apron. Just just for, just notes. It doesn't say in the text you have to abide in the vine under the apron. That was just like her creative application of it. Okay. Maybe you're sitting there, and you're like, "I do not have time to sit two hours under an apron. If I do that, someone is going to take me away in a straitjacket because they are going to think that I am crazy." And I get it. We're busy. You know, busy the new fun, hey? Have you, like, you used to say, "Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks, and you?" Now it's like, "How are you? Busy, and you? You're busy." So busy's the new fun. We're busy. But what if I told you the average South African South African, spends two hours and 48 minutes on social media? So they did a study on this. That's, that's higher than the global average. So we like our social media. So, so are we busy or are we distracted? Because there's a difference. Do we really not have time to abide in the van? And I'm also, I'm also challenging myself here. I'm not sitting at home for two hours under an apron. I, mean, I do own an apron, but it doesn't get used very often. But I don't, I don't wear it when I cook. But the question is, is Jesus a priority? Is he a priority in our lives? Do we really depend on him? How much is he really a source for the spiritual life that we're living. And then the second story, also from the 1600s, is the story of a monk called Brother Lawrence. He was in a monastery in Paris. Who knows the story about Brother Lawrence? Okay. So, Brother Lawrence became known. He, He developed a reputation for being very wise, and for being very peaceful and very um, calming. He had this peace and calm about him that was very appealing to people. And people from all over France and further afield would write to Brother Lawrence and they'd come and visit him because they wanted him to pray for them and they also wanted some spiritual guidance. But when they had a a closer look at Brother Lawrence's life, they realized that he did this thing He'd learned to practice the presence of God, moment by moment and task by task, every day of his life. And you might be thinking, he lived in a monastery. Like it's easy for monks to practice the presence of God because there's a lot of silence and solitude and prayer. But Brother Lawrence wasn't a priest, he was a cook and he was a cleaner and he washed a lot of dishes. And he would practice the presence of God or abide in Jesus or be with Jesus, not only during his designated prayer times, he would do it in the mundane tasks of his everyday life. He said that even though he had designated prayer times, the busyness of his life in the kitchen and his prayer times were no different. So when he was in the kitchen serving people at the same time who wanted different things, You know, I'm sure monks, you know, they're very holy, but I think when they're hungry, maybe they're not so friendly. I don't know. So, all of this going on, he said he had the same peace, and he experienced God in the same way as if he was on his knees in the chapel. I saw someone doing that this morning. It was before the service. Everything's crazy and wild, and there's music and people talking. And he was sitting on his chair, and he was holding his head in his hands. What was he doing? Abiding in the vine. He was abiding in the vine no matter where he was. It didn't matter where he was. Think of your life. Think of your world, how busy it gets, how crazy it gets. Wouldn't you like to live like this, where you experience that peace no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing? But it wasn't easy for Brother Lawrence, and I love it. I'm like, yay, he's normal. He's he's a normal guy. It took years. It took him years of disciplining his heart and his mind to practice the presence of God. It was an intentional commitment that he made on his part. This is a quote from him. I have found that we can establish ourselves in a sense of the presence of God, by continually talking with him. Uh, The Apostle Paul refers to this in 1 Thessalonians, where he speaks about praying without ceasing. He says, it is simply a shameful thing to quit conversing with him, to think of trifles, and not trifles that you eat. (laughs) Because that can distract you. Um, Especially if it's my my mom-in-law's trifle very nice. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trivial things, foolish things. We should feed and nourish our souls with high notions of God, which will yield great joy. So like Susanna Wesley, Brother Lawrence was obedient to Jesus. I don't believe he did it for the fruits. What was the fruits? There's a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is a a collection of letters that, that Brother Lawrence wrote which is available in book form, that still inspire people to practice the presence of God 300 years later. But he didn't do it for that. He died in relative obscurity in this monastery in Paris. But he was obedient when Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. He didn't do anything without him. Again, you might be thinking, He was a monk, it's different today, I cook, I clean, I wash dishes and I work. But the principle is important. How many trivial or foolish things do we think about in a day? Think about it. How much of our headspace is taken up with clutter and overthinking and worrying? What about all the mundane things that we do every day? Showering, getting dressed, cooking very mundane, cooking, driving. We do all these mundane things. But these are all opportunities for holy moments. That song said, I just want to be lost in this holy moment. Why not? These can become moments where we can experience the presence of God. Whether you're speaking out scripture when you're getting dressed, or whether you're praying when you exercising. But if you're running on the treadmill, don't close your eyes. <laughs> or when you're driving, don't close your eyes. You can, you can pray with your eyes open. It's okay. It's acceptable. But we can start turning these into moments for connecting with God and practicing his presence. And I just, I just want to say something. that I think there's some people here today who get very, they feel very guilty. When, when someone says, oh, I was, I was um, in my quiet time this morning, you know, God really spoke to me, and, and you like, "I like, not I don't really do quiet times, and it makes you feel guilty, and you're always filled with a sense of guilt. I want to say to you today, please try this. Please try in your everyday life to practice God's presence. Uh, I heard a story about a guy who took post-it notes and he wrote three letters, PTP, practice the presence, and he stuck a post-it note on his steering wheel, he stuck a post-it note on the mirror in his bathroom where he got dressed in the mornings to remind him to practice God's presence and not allow his thoughts to get distracted with random things. So it starts with this desire to be obedient to God and to abide in Jesus, and it continues with discipline. So it starts with the desire, continues with discipline, but we have to keep directing our minds to God. We have to practice this like Brother Lawrence did, until it becomes a habit in our lives. Who of you sitting here this morning has ever given up a bad habit? So you once had a bad habit, you knew it was bad, you decided to give it up, okay? So I knew someone who smoked for many, many years of her life, and she gave up, she stopped a bad habit, even though she said it would be very difficult for her, she's not sure she could ever do it, she did it. So stopped a bad habit, who of you have started a good habit in your life that you never used to have before? So a new habit that's good that you never ever had in your life before. Good. So maybe you started exercising, started eating healthy. These are all good habits to have for a physical life, for our physical life. But we're talking about developing divine habits. And the good thing about this is we don't have to do it on our own. In fact, we shouldn't do it on our own. Because then it stops being about Jesus and it starts being about what we can achieve or accomplish in our own strength. So we actually have a divine coach, we have a divine helper, we have a divine enabler who can help us with these divine habits, and that's the Holy Spirit. Think, think about forgiving someone. Can you do that in your humanness? Is it, is it humanly possible or achievable to forgive someone who has deeply, deeply, deeply hurt you? We need the Holy Spirit's help to be obedient to Jesus. We need supernatural help to develop supernatural habits. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples when he was going to the cross. He was saying to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. It's actually good for me to go because then you're going to get the Holy Spirit, who is going to help you live this life with supernatural power. And the Holy Spirit is like that needle in a compass that just keeps pointing to true north. The Holy Spirit keeps pointing us to Jesus, but we need to respond. So to live a a life that is connected to the vine, abiding in the vine, if we're going to be obedient to Jesus and produce the kind of fruit that he's telling us we can, giving him glory, showing the world what he's like, we have to abide in the vine. The world desperately needs to see what Jesus is like, and it's our responsibility to show them. So Jesus is the vine. Just to wrap up, Jesus is the vine. He is the source. He supplies us. He sustains us spiritually. And what is our response as the branches? Our responsibility is to remain or to abide in Him in love and obedience. And the promises that we will bear much fruit and lasting fruit. And it starts with the desire to obey Him. Do you have, do you have that desire this morning? Do you have that desire in you to obey Him? because that's a good place to start.